Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Lainey Mays. And Essie Ramirez. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Library Love Fest podcast. This is Lainey. Um, we have a great Editors Unedited episode for you today. I want to introduce Nicole Fisher, editor at Avon Books. Hi, Nicole. Hello, glad to be here. Um, and I'm also here with Alexandria Belfleur. She's the Lambda Literary Award winner uh, and national bestselling author of Queer Rom-Coms. Her debut, Written in the Stars, came out last November. The second book, Hang the Moon, hit shelves in May. And we have Count Your Lucky Stars, which will be here in the new year. Um, so Alexandria, why don't you give us a quick little elevator pitch for your new book? Yeah, definitely. So Count Your Lucky Stars is a second chance queer romance about Margot, the bold, loyal, badass best friend from Written in the Stars and Hang the Moon. And she loves her friends dearly, but she's kind of beginning to feel like a fifth wheel uh, as they all plan her friends, Brendan and Annie from Hang the Moon, their wedding, of which she's the best woman. And when an unforeseen catastrophe strikes at their wedding venue and they need a new wedding planner, lo and behold, it is Olivia Grant, Margot's former best friend and first love who she hasn't seen in over a decade. And from there, they have to work together planning the wedding. And when a catastrophe strikes Olivia's apartment, she needs a new place to stay. So they become roommates. And over the course of all of this, um, they spend time together and sort out what went wrong between them years before. Amazing. So that's on sale February 1st of 2022. So hopefully everyone listening is able to pre-order it or add it to their library collection. Um, so since we're here on the Library Love Fest podcast, let's kick this off with, you know, giving some library love. Um, so Alexandra, did you spend a lot of time in libraries growing up? Any librarian in your life who influenced your passion for books? I did spend a lot of time in libraries. I'm an only child, so my summers were pretty quiet and pretty low key. But some of my best memories are of going to my local library and taking part in the summer reading challenge. So my mom would drop me off and I would pick out way too many books and, you know, have to like get a second summer reading sheet because I ran out of room. And so, yeah, I've always been a reader and I really think that libraries nurtured that in me. So, yeah, I love I love libraries. Yeah, I used to like my mom refused to buy me as many books as I possibly could read because she was like, the budget, you're literally buying too many. And so exactly. I going to the library and I would get these stacks of like Sandra Brown novels. And I remember like I had like at least 10 of them next to my bed at any given time. So when I finished them in the middle of the night while I was like reading by flashlight, I could just reach over and pick up another one and like 
that was definitely a huge part of how I got into romance novels. Uh, so when you were at the library, were you reading romance for your summer reading challenge or something else? Oh yeah, no, not romance. That was when I was much younger. Um, my, <laughs> my introduction to romance came a little bit later and it was through YA novels. I, I read mm. Twilight and I was, I was hooked and I went through a pretty serious vampire phase um, after that. And I branched out into Anne Rice and then I, I stumbled upon her, um, her Sleeping Beauty erotica, which Ooh. was probably too young for reading that, but you know, not a bad thing. And uh, yeah, so it, it wasn't romance at that time, but um, I, I do think that Twilight was a big reason why I got into reading romance. <laughs> I do feel like a lot of people, either like they started reading, they dove right into the deep end with like whatever they found at the library or their mom's bookshelf or something, or they started through YA romance. And I feel like I'm a little in between. I picked mm -hmm. up the Sandra Browns and some Jude Devereaux's, but I also used to love those like um, Catherine, some, I can't remember the full name, but like the YA romances, there was one called like Tropical Kiss that was about a girl <laughs> who goes to an island and her dad lives there. And she has like, an, like a love story with this like hot dude who works with him. And I was just like hooked. And so that was sort of my gateway, a little bit of both. Um, do you remember what your first, like, besides Anne Rice, like, when you started reading contemporary or historical, like, what brought you into, you know, outside of the paranormal space? Yeah, so I, I definitely took some time away from reading for myself when I was in college. I just didn't have the time, but I remember the summer after I graduated, I... I, I was kind of friends with somebody in a, a fanfic fandom and they posted their Goodreads account and I just started making my way down their favorites shelf. And that's when I stumbled across Christina Lauren. And mm -hmm. I think that their Wild Seasons series was my first like introduction into contemporary romance. And, and from there, I was just completely hooked and just started devouring so many, so many. And then I got Kindle Unlimited and I went from there and it just oh, was a spiral. Sweet Filthy Boy by Christina Lauren is still one of my all-time favorites. Like that yes. book and that Ansel. I just love him. He's yes. like a puppy dog. You just want to squeeze his cheeks. Oh my God, yes. And then I remember um, a Dirty Rowdy thing was another oh, yeah. one of theirs. <laughs> um, so that you published rom-coms. So I guess that kind of led you into how you decided to start writing or, you know, when did you decide you wanted to become a writer? Was it early days or once you'd read a lot of stuff in the rom-com contemporary romance space? The very first thing that I ever wrote was fanfic. It was Twilight fanfic and it doesn't exist anymore for a very good reason. Um, it was, it was so bad, but I mean, I still love it kind of, you know, the nostalgia of it, but in terms of writing original work, it, it definitely was reading the contemporary romances, Christina Lauren and some other really funny books that just kind of, you know, if you were in a bad mood, you could pick it up and it would just completely change your mindset. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to write something that could hopefully put readers in a, in a good mood. <laughs> Well, I think your books would definitely do that. They make me laugh constantly. <laughs> um, so why don't you talk a little bit, let's talk a little bit about your writing process, because I mean, as I said, your books make me laugh, but I don't feel like humor comes naturally to everybody. So when you're writing, do you, you know, just come up with jokes or does it just 
words just flow and then they're funny and other people laugh and you didn't even realize <laughs> it's it's a little bit of both sometimes it is kind of intuitive and a line will just pop out and I will pat myself on the back and be like wow that that didn't suck <laughs> um but I think a lot of the humor that I strive for is kind of situ situational humor so like the Ferris wheel scene and hang the moon or the karaoke scene um, or, you know, encounter your lucky stars, don't want to get spoilers, but the cat vibrator scene. <laughs> I like, I like writing moments that take characters outside of their comfort zone and they, they could have the potential to kind of be mean, but instead of going there, I like to create a moment where it actually leads to intimacy and like the characters bonding and not laughing at each other, but laughing with each other. And I think humor is a lot easier when, when they are laughing with each other than at each other. Yeah. And I do feel like that comes across so well in your books, you know, the awkward moments that make people bond mm -hmm. versus like, you know, drive them apart. And I think that's such a fun element of, you know, definitely the scenes you mentioned among others. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers though if you want to know what the cat and vibrator is you got to read the book exactly. <laughs> they're not used together don't worry um <laughs> so beyond the humor of your book like how do you come up with the ideas when you start drafting like how do you go from first draft to final book is it just I mean let's talk about your writing process in general yeah, so I'm a plotter and I tend to start with the premise and then the tropes and kind of build out from there. So once I have a general idea of what's happening loosely and who the characters are, I will fill out a beat sheet to hopefully mm -hmm. be on track pacing wise. I really love Romancing the Beat by Gwen Hayes. That's always my go-to blueprint. And then I kind of flesh out those beats into a full outline so that I have a general idea of what's happening in each chapter so that I don't back myself into a corner or, or like have the characters, you know, get together way too soon. Um, yeah. So that, that's kind of how I, I work, basically. So do you enjoy or do you dread the revision process? I feel like everyone's kind of different. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel kind of strange because a lot of my friends hate revisions, but I love revisions. I drafting actually kind of gives me a little bit of anxiety because it's a mm -hmm. page, but with revisions, I feel like the only way to go is up. <laughs> and That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I feel like when I'm drafting, I'm shoveling sand into a sandbox, but then during revisions, I can actually like build a sandcastle. Somebody said that one and it stuck with me. And so I love that, especially because I have my own like blind spots when I'm writing. And so then when I get like your feedback, it's really great because I realize things that I didn't see myself. And so I, I really love revising actually. Maybe a little weird always, that much. <laughs> it's always nerve wracking. Like, I mean, obviously I imagine that getting that email from your editor and opening the file and being like, oh my God, I almost can't look. But I'm also on the other end, like sometimes when I hit send on an email, when it's like, even if it's like a very modest revision and there's nothing majorly like, you know, that needs to be redone, I literally have to get up and walk away from my computer <laughs> because I'm so just like, what do I know? Like, who gave me the right to give this feedback? And it's just like a scary, you know, it's like you opened up your soul to these people in this book and then someone's going to go in and poke at it. And so 
I, yeah. I can see both sides of this. Yeah. I mean, always it's a little nerve wracking opening up that edit letter. And then I always have like, you know, an hour where I'm like, no, no, it's just fine the way it is. And then I'm like, okay, actually, no, no, it's really not. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that's sort of why like you and I, we don't have, you know, editorial phone calls really. We'll go back and forth over email if there's something, but usually, you know, I send you my notes and you go and do your thing. And then you send back, you know, a book with major changes that are like, you know, a totally awesome new version. I always worry that if it's like a phone call that the author wouldn't have time to react like, and like, under like you know get all their emotions like handled or it's like getting criticized to your face and I worry about that if like you know I know some people prefer that method but like most of like my authors with you I don't do you know let's call and talk about this because I would love for them to be able to react to the feedback on their own timeline in their own space without having to like speak directly to me or to my face about it like what if you know your feelings are hurt I might I get it like what like you know you shouldn't have yeah. to show me your reaction immediately exactly and I love you always send my edit letters on Friday so I always have a whole weekend to like to like sit on it before I like and, questions I have I have until Monday it's great well I'm glad it's not gonna ruin your weekend then because mm-hmm. I always worry that I'm ruining someone's weekend <laughs> <when I send laughs> it on Friday Um, So did you, I know we like had a lot of back and forth with Count Your Lucky Stars. So like besides the global pandemic, were there any specific challenges to writing this book and this story, these characters that you encountered? Yeah. And I don't think that it will surprise you what I'm going to say, but Margot (laughs) was, Margot was a real challenge for me because I know that and in the feedback that I've gotten from readers, they love Margot, and Margot has been kind of this fan favorite secondary character throughout the first two books. And so I desperately wanted to do her justice, but it's kind of hard taking a secondary character with this huge personality and making her the main character and not losing that edge, but still managing to show her her inner vulnerabilities and kind of her soft squishy side so striking that right balance was definitely a struggle for me and I mean I hope that I hope that readers will love her as much as a main character as they do as a secondary character yeah um so let's talk a little bit about Margot because obviously as you said she's a fan favorite She's this fiery, badass Aries. You know, she tells it like it is. She's got a sarcastic joke. She's always swearing, um, but she's so loyal to her core. And, you know, as a fellow fire sign who swears a lot, apologies to any listeners who have to listen to that. um, I saw a lot of myself in her and it was like scary, but also hilarious to be so called out. And so it's just like, I am excited to see how people react to her. And I think, you know, in the while we were editing and then the points that we talked about with her and what you were just saying, you know, I, how do you think people will react to the final version of Margot besides like hoping that they like her? Is there anything about her, you know, that might be interesting or new information or, you know, surprise people? I think that maybe what might surprise readers is just the reason why she is the way that she is. She's very kind of, not really anti-love, but just kind of love averse and has a bit of a chip on her shoulder. So figuring out, you know, why she is the way she is, what happened in her past that made her this kind of like take no prisoners 
I don't need anybody else. I think that might be surprising to readers mm-hmm. um, as they meet Olivia and all of their past unfolds. Yeah. So when you were, you know, mapping out this series and picking the characters and creating them in your mind, like do each of them like sort of spring forward, fully formed, like out of Zeus's head type situation? (laughs) Or do you have to craft, do you kind of craft them from the ground up? Like how'd you come up with Margot and her character and everybody else basically? Certain parts of the characters definitely spring fully formed, but the rest, I always have to go back to their, you know, their wounding incident, their fears and, you know, false beliefs and why they are the way they are. And that works when you're introducing a character, you know, from the very beginning, like Elle or Darcy. But with Margot, I had already established all of these traits. So I feel like I had to work backwards on her instead of, you know, having her past and then these traits have formed, I had these formed traits and I had to, you know, backtrack it and figure out what happened in her past that did make her the way that she is. So that was an interesting process, kind of training myself to work in the opposite direction. Right. And then since astrology plays such a big role in this series and sort of in what the characters are doing and who they are, um, I feel like we should talk a little bit about, do you use like a chart or do you plan out their astrological signs when you're plotting or building the characters? Like how do you incorporate all of that into what you're writing? Yeah, I do. I, I've always been kind of casually into astrology, but I knew that if I was going to be writing main characters who are professional astrologers, I needed to kind of step it up. So I, I dove in deep and I bought some books on astrology and I've always loved, you know, astro poets and sanctuary world, but I definitely did a deep dive. And when I did that, I did set up complete birth charts with birth times for all of my characters, just so that I could, you know, incorporate that on a deeper level. Um, and, and so, yeah, I have all of those you know, special charts. <laughs> I wasn't like huge into astrology when I first started working on your series. I, you know, I knew I was in Aries and it was a fire sign. I found it interesting to read the different traits that are perceived like for each different birthday and stuff. But like now that I've worked on all three books, I am kind of obsessed and I feel like I've become one of those like astrology millennials who is just like obsessed with meme accounts and like I check my daily updates on CoStar (laughs) and it's like it's so wildly accurate sometimes that it freaks me out a little bit yeah Um, scary accurate definitely a little scary (laughs) yeah and like I love that you include those lists at the beginning of like a number of chapters or out throughout the series and I like sometimes your little predictions of what each you know sign would say or do is so accurate to me, and I'm always just like, oh my god! <laughs> um, I think my favorite. So for listeners who haven't read it, there are these you know sort of like listicle quiz type bonus content that Alexandria has put into the story and they're like you know if you're an Aries you would watch this movie and if you're a Taurus you would watch this movie um so my favorite I think is the controversial opinions one because of the centaur thing (laughs) (laughs) which I will not get into but how do you like how do you come up with those do you just like off the top of your head make 
stuff up or what's the process? I actually take a lot of time to make these. I would like get my coffee in the morning before I would start drafting and I would sit down and I would do those lists very first thing, like at my kitchen table. Um, and I wasted probably way too much time, but I guess it was productive procrastination. Um, so the list, they definitely tie in to the particular chapters, some sort of plot mm -hmm. or theme. So in Count Your Lucky Stars, I know that they not spoiling anything, but there's a cake tasting. And so it's like, what wedding cake flavor are you based on your Zodiac sign? Um, so I would, I would kind of boil down each of the Zodiac signs main or kind of like stereotypical attributes, po both positive and negative. And then for each of those signs, I sort of matched those attributes with whatever the list was about. Um, and it's, it's not a perfect science at all. I mean, it's not a science at all. <laughs> it's very vibe based. It was kind of like a gut check. Like I was like, yeah, that, that fits. And I mean, some were, some were very like easy, like the centaur one with Sagittarius. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> just was a gimme, but yeah, it's a vibe and it's subjective. And so I'm sure that there are some people are like, that are like, no, that doesn't fit me at all. And that's fine. But my opinion. <laughs> Right. And I feel like that's kind of the thing about astrology. Like if you're into it moderately, like you're not huge, huge into astrology, it is kind of just a vibe thing. Like some things will fit, some things won't. And if it, you like think it's fun, think it's interesting, like good for you, but it's not a science and that's fine. It's enjoyable for us to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like take what works and leave the rest. Yeah. So I can't remember. I know it's in the book, but I can't remember now. So Margot's love interest, Olivia, what is her sign and how did you kind of come up with her character? So Olivia is a Libra and she is Margot's polar opposite sign, Aries and Libra. Mm -hmm. And I kind of set that up to kind of just show certain opposite tendencies. Um, as for how I, I kind of shaped her character, it was more of a, an exploratory characterization for me since she was new to me, just like she's new to readers since she hasn't been in any of the previous books. So mm -hmm. I, I needed somebody who could handle Margot's fire, but also kind of soften her and bring out that more vulnerable side. And so it was, it was definitely an exploration for me. And it wasn't until I want to say the second draft, or somewhere in my revisions, I really felt like I got to know her in like a new scene that I added um, with her. Again, not a spoiler, but she's unpacking romance novels that she had previously kept hidden under her bed. Oh, I, I love that scene. Yeah, I really, I really love that too. And that was when I feel like her character clicked for me and all the pieces mm -hmm. fell into place. Yeah. So how did you decide these two women were a perfect match? Like what made you want to tell this story, their story? And how did you kind of come up with the idea for it? Yeah, so I knew it was going to be a second chance romance and I wanted to make it a case of where their first go around kind of exemplified wrong timing that they weren't ready for each other back then. And I think that stemmed from each character having different insecurities and needing to figure out themselves before they could be together. And I felt like that was a nice opportunity to show also different 
queer experiences and how people kind of like come into their own. So Margot has always been extremely confident in herself and in her identity and where she struggles is more so with letting people in. But Olivia needed a little bit more time to figure out herself and be confident in all those parts of herself. And she didn't fully realize that she was bi until Margot came along. And then she married her high school sweetheart and kind of tucked away parts of herself, including that part of her identity for years. And so I wanted to kind of set up the different ways that people come into their own and come into parts of their identity and their queer identity and, you know, kind of setting those against, against each other. Yeah. And I think, I hope that readers appreciate that, you know, in all of your books, you're exploring different queer identities in a way, like to highlight that, you know, two women two in a romance are not always just going to be a lesbian romance. And I, I think that's really important and I appreciate it. Um, so I love that they're, you know, everyone's, everyone's different. Exactly. Yeah. And everyone's kind of path to figuring out who they are is very different as well. Yeah. So in Count Your Lucky Stars, we have a lot of classic tropes. We've got second chance romance, estranged best friends, but I think my favorite is roommates to lovers because this is just one of my favorite tropes. It lends itself to, you know, such cozy moments, domestic scenes. Everybody loves the, oh my God, my hot roommate is in a towel moment. Um, So do you have any favorite scenes from this book or maybe even any of your books? that really show, you know, how this couple is forming a romantic bond or just being like cozy and falling in love. Personally, I love the one where they bake together, but I don't know about (laughs) you. I love that scene too. I really like moments that are quiet and, you know, kind of do, you know, exemplify how the HEA will kind of persist past the last page, you know, how they might be, you know, after even the epilogue. I, I really like those. I like, I like a grand gesture, but I like the quiet gestures that are more personal and, Mm -hmm. you know, where, where they are communicating in this one. I really like, um, there's a scene in a grocery store where Margot kind of tells Olivia that, you know, she needs to stand up for herself. And I, I felt like that was kind of sweet. Um, across all of my books, I do like those kind of quiet moments where, you know, instead of it being like a huge bouquet of flowers, it's like a tiny succulent or something that's intensely personal to the characters, acts more punch than like the really splashy, flashy, everybody's watching on a jumbotron moment. Right. And it really shows that like the characters know each other on a level that they would know that a succulent is more important than a jumbotron and stuff like that, which I think your books, you do that so well. And there's so many scenes I could literally just list off a whole like <laughs> on 10, 10 of them off the top of my head that just show how intimate and like bonded these characters are and that they know each other and they love each other. And I love the domestic vibes that the roommates to lovers allows you to show when, you know, we get to see them and imagine how they'd be as just a regular couple in the future. And so that's really fun. And, you know, the towel and the naked in the hallway vibe doesn't hurt either. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, So besides the tropes that you've already written, so we've got grumpy sunshine, we in, and we've got, you know, enemies to lovers, we've got fake dating, we've got friends to lovers, like, 
all over the place. Do you have a favorite trope? Do you have others that you're planning to write or haven't had a chance to, but you love and, you know, want to write? I feel like I always give a different answer whenever anybody asks me my favorite trope because I just love them all. <laughs> um, but some of my favorites are fake dating and enemies to lovers, but really anything that creates this inherent tension and like, you know, ramps it up. Um, I would say that a, a trope that I haven't written yet that definitely intrigues me is like relationship and turmoil or mm-hmm. relationship on the rocks because that's a different type of tension. Um, so that is something that I would like to write one day. Um, yeah. Otherwise, fake dating and enemies to lovers are probably my go-to favorites. Two great ones. Um, so since this is unfortunately the last book in the series, all the characters have found their loves. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on next without giving away too many spoilers? Yeah, definitely. So I am working on a standalone sapphic romance that is set in Seattle, and it does involve a lot of my favorite tropes. Excellent. So you've now set a bunch of books in Seattle. I guess, you know, we didn't really talk about the setting because I do feel like Seattle in your series and your books is almost like a character and of itself. There's so many Mm -hmm. little details I have not been to Seattle in years, so I'm not, like, other than, you know, Fisherman's Wharf or whatever it's called, the like, <laughs> place mar- market, I don't yeah. know all the places, but I feel like people that do know Seattle find little Easter eggs in your books, and they're just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, she really knows, like, why, why Seattle? Are you from there? Did you, you know, grow up there? What's the story? Yeah, I grew up there. I moved there when I was in middle school and it's where I still consider home. Um, I want to get back there one day and it's just the city I know best. It's the city I love. And there are so many little neighborhoods and nuances to the city that I feel like I could probably write like every book for the rest of my life in Seattle. And it would feel a little different focusing on different neighborhoods and the different vibes. And uh, it's, it's just great city and I do feel like it has a a wealth of opportunities to showcase different characters in in their own little like micro environments yeah I love that you were able to sort of take them to all kinds of different places to like you know the pier and a lake and the mountains and the cities Uh, it's just like there's so many options for places to like set scenes in your stories and so that I definitely think Seattle is a great place for that yeah Um, so what would you tell someone who hasn't read any of your books before, like who's thinking of picking up Count Your Lucky Stars? You know, is there something or a theme or details besides Seattle <laughs> uh, that readers can expect to see in all of your stories? I would say across all of my stories, you will definitely find a found family element. So a really tight-knit group of friends that has become like a family unit. Um, and, you know, within that, there, there's, you know, a little bit of drama, some meddling, but it all comes from the heart. And there's going to be situational humor, like I said, that's going to lead to that kind of that intimacy and that bonding, but it's never going to be mean spirited. And always those quiet moments, like you mentioned, those, those small gestures and very domestic, cozy, cozy scenes. Um, I think those are probably across all of my books. So for people who have read your earlier books, so Written in the Stars and Hang the Moon, um, does Count Your Lucky Stars differ from the previous books in any way? 
Yeah, I, I would say that it does in one particular way, and then it's definitely steamier. It is, oh, cool. um, it is definitely steamier than Written in the Stars and Hang the Moon. And I did it for a reason, since Margot and Olivia do have history. So I felt like it was um, more natural for the characters to maybe have the heat cranked up a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So I think we're almost at the end of our time. Um, but before we, you know, sign off, um, can readers, your readers, get any like swag or signed copies of books anywhere? Yeah, um, readers can purchase signed copies. They can pre-order at Tom Below Books in St. Petersburg, Florida. And Excellent. I will be signing all pre-orders and I will also be signing any stock. So if anyone's looking for a signed copy of Red and the Stars or Hang the Moon, you can also order from there. Amazing. All right. Well, it was so fun to chat about this book that I love so much and talk to you, Alexandria. Um, yes, it was as a great. reminder, <laughs> everybody, Count Your Lucky Stars is coming out on February 1st, 2022. So go get ready to fall in love with Margot and Olivia because they're amazing and it's a spicy book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.